says this, yea, doubtless, says, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained or already achieved it, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't have a grasp of it yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to preach to you today the pursuit of a lifetime that I may know him, that I may know him. Amen. If you could put your Bibles down and go with me to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the truths that we find in your word. God, I pray, Lord, right now that you'd help me, God, that you'd anoint my tongue, that you'd anoint my lips, God, to speak your word clearly with boldness and with anointing, God. I pray for your church today, God. I pray for your people, God, that they would receive your word, God. Hallelujah, Lord, and apply it to their life today, God, and that we would leave here changed and transformed, God. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The pursuit of my life. I'm going to start off real basic here. I'm going to start with the first verse in the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Right? A lot of us know that verse. It's one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. But can I tell you this morning, <clears throat> although we often quote it, those, those four words in the beginning of that verse, in the beginning God, are some of the most important words ever penned in your Bible. They're some of the most important words ever written in your Bible. In the beginning God. Why? Because this is where it all begins. This is where it all starts. This is where everything originates from. All that you see, all that you hear, all that you experience with your eyes, everything in creation started from these four simple words. In the beginning, God. Think about it. Evolution tries to explain away God, right? They say a big bang. But where did all the stuff come from that made that Big Bang? If the Big Bang was real, how did all the stuff happen? Who orchestrated? Who created the laws, right? Think about it. Every single blade of grass comes from a seed. But where did the seed come from? Who originated the seed? Every droplet of water came from an ocean, came from a lake or a cloud or a river. But who made the cloud? Every life came from another life, 
right? Which came from another life, which came from another life. But where does life originate from? <clears throat> yes. And see, if these four, four simple words are true, <clears throat> that means they are the wellspring of everything. From these four words come all truth, come all hope, come all meaning, come all purpose, come all life. You see, if life originates from a source, and that source is God, I've come to present to you today, if that source is God, then it is a worthwhile, worthwhile pursuit that a man spend his life pursuing after knowing that God. <clears throat> you see, if all life revolves around these words, then my life, right, your life, should revolve around these four simple words. In the beginning, God. I've come to tell you, I've come to preach to you today, this morning, the greatest pursuit, <clears throat> the greatest pursuit of my life, the greatest pursuit of your life, is to know who God is. It's to figure it out, to find it out, to search it out with all your being, with all your diligence. Figure it out. The greatest pursuit of your life, church, this morning is to figure out who is God. Nothing else matters. If everything originates from God, if life originates from God, then it is my job to figure out who that God is. To who, who that God is. Who is the one that created me? Who is the one that shaped me? Who is the one that I may know Him? How many have siblings? How many have siblings in here? How many are the eldest sibling or have younger siblings beneath them? All right, got a few here. I don't know if you ever did this. That's right, a little groove here. Encore, encore, no. Um, I don't know if you did this, but uh, if you had younger siblings, maybe you did. But it's a classic. It's a classic. As you go to your younger sibling and you say, you know you're adopted, right? <laughs> and no, I didn't want to tell you. I didn't just want to spring the news on you like that. But you're adopted. Sorry. <laughs> you're the outcast. You're the black. You're cruel, isn't it? It's just cruel. So what does that kid do? <laughs> Mom! Dad, you know what's, you know what so and so said. He said I'm adopted. Am I adopted? Am I really? Is that true? Of course, that mom, that loving mom, kind of smirks. You know, she knows what's going on. She says, "No, son, no, daughter, you're mine. You're mine." What did that kid do? They went to the source. They went to the source. It went to somebody that was there, right? Somebody that saw them be born, right? So what does a person do when they're looking for the meaning for life? 
What does a person do who has questions about what's my life's purpose? Why was I created? Right? Why am I here? Where do you go? So you got to go to the source. You got to go to the source of all life. In the beginning, God. That's why I'm saying it is the pursuit of your life to figure out who this God is. Because when you figure out who this God is, you just might figure out who you are. You see, you got a lot of people out there saying, and I, I get it, right? Personality tests, I get it. Trying to figure out what makes me tick. Trying to figure out who I am. But, I'm, but here's the thing is they're getting the order wrong. You don't go to Myers and Briggs first. No, you go to the source. You find out who he is. And like he told Jeremiah, he said, I knew you before you were, you were even formed in the womb. I had a plan for you. I had a purpose for you. You might just figure out who you are when you go and figure out who he is. The greatest pursuit of my life. The greatest pursuit of my life. Paul said in our opening scripture, he said in, in verse 8, he said, Yea, doubtless. He said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Did you hear that? I count all things but loss for what? For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And he said, I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. What is Paul talking about? You see, before this verse, in the in, in beginning of this chapter, Paul starts to, to, to list his accomplishments, right? Starts to list his accomplishments in the flesh. He says, I was a Hebrew, right? I was from the stock of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee, a religious leader in my day. He says, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, he said, I could have confidence in the flesh. I could have confidence in the flesh. But what do we know about Paul? Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And, and, Paul, and Saul took those same positions and took those same titles and took that same education that he received. And he went down a Damascus road, right? Then all of a sudden, a bright light shined about him. And he could not see. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus Christ whom thou persecutest. What does that tell me? That tells me you can have all the titles you want. You can have all the positions you want. You can have everything, every degree known under the sun. But if you don't know who Jesus is, friend, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. You've got nothing. How did Paul view his past? How did Paul view his past titles and accomplishments in the flesh? He said it is but dung. It is dung. You know what dung is? I don't need to expound then. He viewed them as dung, as waste, as the stuff you throw away. You see, if you're going to know who God is... It starts with the proper perspective. You've got to get things in order. You've got to get the proper perspective. See, God don't care about who you are, the positions you hold, and what title you own. Who is Jeff Bezos compared to God? Who is Elon Musk compared to God? Who is the President of the United States compared to the omnipotent, omnipotent, all-present God? He's nothing. 
He's done. You see, when I get the proper perspective of who God is compared to myself, right? When I get the proper perspective of who God is, how God is up there, His holiness, His righteousness, His purity. When I get the proper perspective that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, He doesn't care about my bank account. When I get the proper perspective of who He is and who I am underneath Him, then guess what? Then I can't help but say, I don't care about me, God. I don't care about me, God. I want to know who you are. Everything else is dung. Everything else is waste. I've got to know who this God is. All it takes is one good look in the mirror, right? Ugh, I ain't much. I ain't much. All it takes is one, down, one trip down memory lane and you realize I ain't much. I ain't much to an all holy God. All holy God. Getting the proper perspective. <clears throat> what am I saying? I'm not saying that you can't have a good job. Okay? I want to make sure that's clear here. I'm not saying that you can't achieve things in this life. I'm not saying that you can't become a nurse, an RN, a, a doctor, a business owner. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. It's Paul was comparing. Right? He was comparing all those things to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they were nothing. They were nothing. You see, you've got to get the proper perspective. If you really want to know who God is, you have to get the proper perspective. Because here's the thing. It is not my life's ambition to stack money in my bank account. The pursuit of my life is not happiness. The pursuit of my life is so that I can feel good. The pursuit of my life is not these things. The pursuit of my life is not even the American dream, right? The two kids, a wife, a dog, and a picket fence. That is, those things are great. Those things are fine. But compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, compared to that, the pursuit of my life is to know Him. The pursuit of my life, the pursuit of your life, is to know Jesus Christ. J.J. Packer said this. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, he said, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Did you hear that? Once you, become more, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their, or of their own accord. What, am I, what is this preacher trying to tell you today? I'm trying to give you purpose. I'm trying to give you meaning. There's some of you that lack meaning. There's some of you that lack purpose. There's some of you that are, that are they're gasping for air. They're, you're gasping for things in this life. You're gasping to find your meaning, your purpose. I've come to tell you your purpose. Your purpose, the greatest pursuit of your lifetime, is that you know who Jesus is. Is that you know who Jesus is. Matter of fact, I'll say this. If that is the only thing you accomplish in this life, if the only thing you accomplish in this life is that you know Him, I've come to tell you, you are a great success. You are, your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. You are a success. <clears throat> that I may know Him. <clears throat> 
But here's the thing. A lot of people say that they know who Jesus is. Right? Here's the reality of the situation. A lot of people say, oh yeah, I know who Jesus is. Matter of fact, you could go to your local Walmart, go to your local store, and you could go down the aisles, and you could say, hey, do you know Jesus? And a lot of those people would say, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Yeah, I know who Jesus is. We got that picture? There he is. There's Jesus. <laughs> My grandma had that picture above her dresser. It's a common picture, right? Have you all seen this one? Newsflash. I'm going to tell you something. That's not Jesus. <laughs> you may not know this. this. I mean, I may be giving you the hard truth today. I may be wrecking all your images of Jesus. But I can almost, almost guarantee, almost, not, well, there's some things I can guarantee about that picture. But I can almost guarantee you, he did not look like that. Right? I mean, if Paul preached against long hair, gentlemen, right? Jesus did not have long hair. He didn't. Paul preached against it. Said it was a shame for a man to have long hair. Right? He didn't have long hair. Here's another thing, all you Norwegians and all you Northerners, you know. He probably wasn't white either. Probably. I don't know, maybe, maybe he had a little fair skin, but he probably wasn't. I mean, he was a Jew, so he looked like a Jew. You know, he probably didn't have blue eyes either. I know blue eyes are in. But he probably didn't have blue eyes. He looked like a Jew. What am I saying? I'm saying they even got the picture wrong. Right? They say they know Jesus. They got the picture wrong. Oh. <clears throat> here's the thing. <clears throat> here's, some, uh, here's some scary scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Some of the most scariest scriptures in your Bible. It says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In, that in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I... Oh, we don't even... Well, there we go. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Luke 13, 26 says this, Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Did you catch it in these verses? These people said this, We've prophesied in your name. We've cast out devils in your name think about that they cast out devils i'm still i'm just gonna be honest i see that and i'm still like oh you know 
These people did it. They cast out devils. He said, we've done many wonderful works in your name. It goes on in Luke, as it said. He says, you taught in our streets, Jesus. We sat down and we ate supper with you. And then Jesus says, I don't know you. What is he talking about? You see, it's a scary place to be, to think that you know Jesus and come to find out he doesn't know you. He doesn't know you. Titus shed some light on it. He says, they profess that they know God. Oh, I know him. Oh, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. But in works, in actions, in deeds, in lifestyle, they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying, you may think you know me, but by the way that you act, the way that you talk, the way that you live your life, he says, I don't recognize you. I don't recognize who you are. Second Timothy 2.19 says this, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. God knows his children. God knows who you are. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, what? Depart from iniquity. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I don't care how many times you preach my gospel. I don't care how many miracles you perform in my name. I don't care about the devils that you cast out. Those that know me, those that truly know me, are like me. Those that know me, keep my word. Those that know me, walk like me, talk like me, have a lifestyle that reflects me, treat people like I would treat people. Those that know me, truly know me, are like me. When they came up before those pearly gates, he says, I don't recognize you. <clears throat> you see, it was God's will that we were made in his image. Genesis 1.26 says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, he him. Male and female created he them. You see, it was God's desire that man would be created in the image of God after his likeness. Right? So there's a lot of debate on what that means. There's a lot of debate. What, what, what is the image of God? And we don't have time for that debate here today, but we do have time for this. Because we do know one thing 100% that John 4, 24 says this, God is a spirit, right? God is a spirit, meaning a spirit doesn't have an image. Now follow along with me. A spirit doesn't have an image. So what image is he talking about? God is a spirit. He doesn't have one. Luke 24, 39, Jesus says, A spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. So what is the image of God that God desired that man be formed in like manner? He says in Colossians 1.15, he says, tell us, or it tells us Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. 
You see, it was God's desire that you be made in his image. In the image of God, he created you. What is that image? The image is Jesus Christ. It was God's desire that you be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. God desires you to be like him. You see, God desires to be, have you to be like him. Right? If you're going to know him, you need to be like him. It's getting quiet. I know. The good part's coming. Don't worry. John 1.18 says this, No man has seen God at any time. It says, But the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. No man has seen God at any time because God is a what? Uh, he is a spirit. No man has seen him but the Son of God or the flesh of God, or the man Jesus Christ hath declared him. Meaning when Jesus came walking down the street, when Jesus came walking down those roads, it was God in the flesh. He declared him. He was saying, here I am. Here I am. God in the flesh. The image of God. The image of God. The image that God desired his creation to be formed after, to be conformed to. What am I saying? I'm saying get in the Gospels. Get in the Gospels. Learn about Jesus. Learn how he walked. Learn how he talked. Get in there. Read it for yourself. <clears throat> but now listen to this. John 10, 38 says this. This is what Jesus says. He says, but if I do, but if I do, though ye believe not me. It's kind of a tongue twister there. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe. That the Father is in me and I in him. What is Jesus saying here? This was right before Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And the Jews took up stones. Why? Because they were going to stone him. Why? Because he being a man, they said, maketh himself God. He's saying, you're making yourself God. We're, that's blasphemy. We're going we're to stone you. And Jesus said, you may not believe the words that I say. You may not believe the words that I say. But what does he say? He says, believe the works. Because the works testify that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. What is Jesus saying? By the way that I live my life, my works, my actions, the way that I treat people, the way that I talk, the miracles that I perform, the sins that I've forgiven. He says, that should be enough evidence that you need that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So what does that tell us about our life? That means the way that we live our lives, the way that we act, the way that we treat our coworkers, the way that we talk to one another should be evidence enough that you are in the Father and He is in you. It's amazing as a parent how you can see yourself in your how you can see yourself and your spouse in your children. Right? <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? And when they do that dumb thing, well, that's, that's Lindsay. That's Lindsay coming out of that one. <laughs> and if she does it vice versa, it's great. Marriage, ah, children. Ah. But it's amazing, right? You look at a child, you look at a, another person's kid, and you're like, man, that boy walks like you. The boy talks like you. He has all the same mannerisms as you. What in the world? That's just confirmation, right? 
That's my kid. That's my kid. He looks like me, talks like me, you know. The same thing is when, when a person is born of the water and of the spirit. Right? All of a sudden, you start acting different. You start talking different. You start living different. And God just looks down at his child and says, oh, see? Yep, that's mine right there. Look at the way they're walking. Look at the way they're talking. Look at the way they're acting. You see, the Bible says that we are called unto good works. We are called unto good works. That is just product of living this life. Just product of being born again. Philippians 3.9, Paul goes on to say, he says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. What is Paul saying here? Paul gives us a key, a key to know Jesus. He says, I need to be found in him, and he needs to be found in me. He says, it's not my righteousness, but it is his righteousness. Okay? It's not my righteousness, it is his righteousness. It was God's will that man be made in the image of God. But here's the thing. As we all messed it up. Right? We all messed it up. We tried to do it by our own righteousness, like Paul. And we failed. We try to do it in our own willpower. We try to do it in our own strength. But we found out that we came up empty. We came up void. We couldn't achieve to be like Jesus in our own flesh and in our own strength. We couldn't do it. We messed up. We have problems. We have issues. We have issues. We've come short of His likeness. We've come short of his image. We have found that our righteousness is as filthy rags, that none of us measure up. Even Paul said, says, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. Think about it. I have problems. I have issues. I had sin. And in my flesh, I could not be like Jesus. I couldn't attain it. I couldn't do it. Can I get a witness here? Can we be honest? I couldn't do it. I tried. I tried. Genesis 2.18 says this, going back to the beginning. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Adam needed a bride. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep, verse 21. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto man. See, God caused Adam to take a little nap. And while he was sleeping, he opened up the side of Adam. And from that side, what did he produce? He produced a bride. And Adam woke up. And he said the common joke, right, that we all say. He woke up, saw his wife. And said what? Whoa, man. Right? Whoa, man. Amen. You need to tell your wife that sometime. Whoa, man. That's good. It's biblical. But here's the thing. Just like that first Adam, Jesus Christ wanted a bride. 
So Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, took on the sins of man, was beaten and bruised for the iniquity, for our iniquities, and died on a cross. And while he was asleep, that Roman soldier took that spear and opened up his side. And instead of taking a rib, he gave his blood. He gave his blood, and from the blood he purchased himself a bride known in Scripture as the church. That's why Titus 2.14 says this, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. But here's the thing, the story doesn't stop there. Adam said of his bride, she is now bone of my bones. She is flesh of my flesh, for she came out of man. What does Jesus say about his bride? What does Jesus say about that sinner that he, that he cleans up? Jesus says about his bride, he says, My righteousness shall be your righteousness, and my mind shall be in your mind, and my nature shall be in you, and my spirit shall be in you. Let me tell you something, church. God is into transformation. He's not into just religion and tradition. He wants to change us. He wants to change you for the better. But here's the thing is he didn't leave you on an island to say, okay, go ahead. Go measure up to me. Right? Go ahead. You can do it. And just left us on an island. No. That's why the gospel is so important. That's why the gospel is so powerful. Because it goes beyond just a words on a page. But it's, it's words written in our heart. Oh. <laughs> it goes beyond just our traditions. It goes beyond just, just saying, an, an, saying a prayer, reciting a prayer. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's more than just words on a page. But like Jesus died, I die in repentance. Like Jesus was buried... I am buried with him in baptism. Like Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day, I rise, I rise in newness of life when, I've, when, I've, when I get the Spirit infilled within me and I speak with other tongues. Let me tell you something. It's, it's bigger than our tradition. It's bigger than just words on a page. No, this is lived. This is experienced. What am I talking about today? I'm talking about knowing him. Knowing Him. <clears throat> you see, to know Him is you've got to be like Him. I hope we understand what we got a hold of in this church. I really do. I hope we understand truly what we got a hold of. You know how many people are going to the same dull, boring church services over and over and over and over again saying, I believe God, but I don't know who He is. I believe God, but they're never changed. They're never transformed. They're never made into a new creature. You understand what we've got a hold of, church? You understand what we've got a hold of? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just words on a page. It's words written on your heart, church. It's not just some vows that we say. It's something that we live. It's something that we breathe. It's something that becomes who we are. That's what it means to know Him.
why Romans 8.29 says this, for whom he did foreknow, those that he knew, those he, when he, he knew the church was going to be saved, those he foreknew, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This group known as the church, he made it their destiny. He made it their destiny to be conformed or to be patterned after his image and his likeness. God has transformed us. God is still working on us, church. God is still working on us, molding us. Why? Because he's conforming us into his image to be like him. <clears throat> Paul said, verse 9 and 10, he says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You got to understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Paul is saying that he wants the knowledge. He's not speaking of just informational knowledge. He's not speaking of, well, I'm just memorizing a couple verses I'm just memorizing the Gospels. He's not talking about that. But, but, but what the knowledge that Paul is talking about, he, sa he says, I want to know Jesus in, a, in a, an experiential way. I want to have an experience with Jesus. It is like when you go on, it's like when somebody goes on vacation, right? Somebody goes on vacation, and they come back, and they start telling you all about their vacation. And you're up in the frozen north, right? And you're like, fly a kite, man. I don't want to hear it. No, we're not that kind of people. No, they start telling you about the vacation. They start talking about the white sandy beaches, right? They talk about the sunset. Oh, it's the sunset on Tuesday. My goodness, if you were there, if you were there. The warmth that shined on my skin. You see the tan? Look at, look at the tan. Right? And then they, they come back and they, they bring you back a postcard. Right? And you look at that boy. Or they bring you back a little trinket. And the trinket says, Welcome to Mexico. And you take that trinket, throw it in the snowbank. No. But what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, I don't want the postcard. You hear me, church? Paul's saying, I don't want the postcard. I don't want your story. I don't want to settle for just your experience. Paul is saying, I want to know him. I want to have my own story about who Jesus is. I want to have my own experience. I want my own relationship in Christ. Thank God for your story. Right? Thank God for your experience. Thank God. For all the times that God came through for you. But I've got to know him in my, in, in my way. I've got to know him. I've got to know him for myself. It's not enough to just get the postcard for Paul. Paul says that I may know him. You see, Paul realizes something. The way that that kind of knowledge is gained. The only way to truly know Jesus in that way is for Paul to be like him, to walk in his shoes, to experience Christ. And so what does he say? He says that I may know him 
in the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? That I know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul is saying this, I want to experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to experience the power that was able to overcome sin in the flesh. You see, the reason that Jesus Christ rose again from that dead is because sin could not hold him down. Sin had no power over him because he was without sin. They killed an innocent man. Jesus had overcoming power, overcoming sin in the flesh. And and Paul says, I want to know Jesus in that way. I want to have that kind of power. I want to have overcoming power. I want to have overcoming power. That's why Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, or on the topic of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. Let me, let me tell you something. If I'm going to know Him, I've got I've to learn to walk in victory. I've got to walk in victory. If I'm truly going to know him and be like him, I've got to learn to walk with him in victory. I've got to learn to overcome habits. I've got to learn to overcome situations. I've got to learn to overcome sin and lifestyle. I've got to learn to overcome these things. And how do I do it? I do it with his strength. I do it with his power. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. You've got to know him like this. You've got to know him like this. Let me tell you something. It is not God's will that you struggle over and over and over and over again with the same sin over and over and over and over again. God says, you don't know me like that. You don't know me like that. That's not how I was known. And you should not be known like that. I'm going to give you resurrection power and you can walk in victory. The power of his resurrection. He goes on to say, well, that's why the Bible says to walk in the spirit, right? Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We've got to be walking in that spirit every day. Every day walking in the spirit. Every day knowing who Jesus is. Philippians 3.10, he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. What does that mean? It means to be a joint participation Joint participation in his suffering. That sounds heavy, right? Joint participation in his suffering. I don't believe that means uh, the same suffering as the cross, right? That all of us are destined to be crucified. Right? Thank God for that. I mean, it may come to that one day. Right? Just being honest here, it may come to that. I mean, as our world gets darker and darker, it may come to that, but it's not that way right now but I believe what he means is is to suffer for righteousness sake to suffer for righteousness sake John 15 18 says this if the world hate you you know that it hated me before it hated you did you hear that Jesus said when I was walking the world when I was preaching to them when I was talking to them They hated me. Not only did they hate me, they crucified me. And if you're going to be like me, right? If you're going to be found in me and I in you, 
It's the same thing that's going to the same thing's going to happen to you. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. He says in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Really, it's a good litmus test. Right? It's a good litmus test. How do your coworkers view you? Right? If they view you a little weird, you're doing good. Good job. Keep it up. How are, the, how are your peers in your school? How do they view you? They think you're a little strange. Good job. Keep it up. No, that's not the only litmus test. But. And obviously, it's not just because you're weird. I mean, you know. It's not just because they don't think you're weird just because you're weird. Yeah. No, it's the righteousness that's in us. It's our convictions. It's our commitments. If they start looking at you and say, man, why? You ain't got to do that. You ain't got to live that way. Right? Here's the thing. What, since when does the church fit in? The Bible calls us a peculiar people. The Bible calls us a special people. Can I tell you something? You're different. And you should be different. You should be different. You should be separated. We're not entertained by what the world is entertained with. We don't go to their places. Right? We don't do what they do. We don't act the way that, that they act. Because we're different. Can I tell you something? The world doesn't need another church that looks like them, that acts like them, that dresses like them, that behaves like them. The world is not looking for a church like that. You know why they're looking? Because they're looking for a Jesus. They're looking for something that's different. They're looking for something that brings them hope. They're looking for salvation. God forbid we look like, we look like the world. Right? You see, the world needs a church that looks and acts like Jesus. That looks and acts like Jesus. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Here's the fact of the matter. There are some, there are some co-workers that you work with that the only Jesus they're ever going to see is the Jesus that is in you. There are some students in your school that the only Jesus that they're ever going to experience is the Jesus that is living in you. So show them Jesus, church. Show them Jesus. Act like He acts. Talk like He talks. Dresses, dress the way that He would dress. Right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's good preaching. Amen. Amen. Here's the thing. They may laugh at you because of how you dress. They may ridicule you and mock you because of your personal convictions. They may tease you and think you are a looney tune because of all the things that you do and all the, all the commitments that you have. But can I tell you, if you will endure it, if you will hold fast the profession of your faith like the Bible says, you will begin to show, you will begin to know the Savior in, in His suffering. You will begin to feel what He felt. And the same patience it took and the endurance and the long suffering and the love that he had will begin to develop in you. And at the end of the day, you'll be able to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because can I tell you something? Some things are only developed in your life and in your Christian walk 
by experience and by trial and by persecution. If you really want to know Him, right? Fellowship of His suffering. Lastly, and I'm closing, Philippians 3.10 again, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death. Being made conformable unto His death. By this, Paul means he desires to pattern himself after the likeness of Jesus' death in the flesh. You see, you look at the life of Jesus and how he lived. No home. No great personal possessions. He died owning, what, only, owning only what he had on him. And, and even they cast lots for that garment. He said, every work that I do, it comes from the Father. All the words that I speak, they come from the Father. You see, Jesus was totally submitted. The flesh of Jesus was totally submitted to the Father. And at the climax of his life, facing death on the cross, what did he say? Jesus surrendered and said, not my will, but thine be done. You see, this is what Paul wants to conform to. A death of self. A death of ego. A death of selfishness. A death of desires. Less of me, God. And more of you. <clears throat> you see, if Christ is our example, and we are to pattern our lives after his image, the greatest act of Christ, the greatest act of Christ that you would read in the Gospels, his greatest act is when he gave his body for the benefit of others. You see, the more that I learn about this Christian life, and the more I know about Jesus, the more I realize that life on this earth is less about what I can receive and more about what I can give. See, the more I begin to realize that uh, about who Jesus is, Paul said this. He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Did you hear that? Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not totally like him yet. He says, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of in Christ Jesus, that I may one day grasp it. He goes, I ain't there yet, but I still strive for it. I still strive for it. Why? Because one day I may grasp it. I may grasp that thing that got a hold of my life. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. I haven't grasped it yet, but this one thing I do. He says, I forget those things which are behind. I forget all the problems. I forget all the failures. I forget all the confidence I had in my flesh. I forget about my own righteousness and the failures of my own righteousness. I forget all those things. And what does he say? I, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark. 
I haven't grasped it yet. I'm still trying. I'm still trying to know him in that way. I'm still trying to know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering. I'm still trying to be conformed unto his death, saying less of me, God, and more of you, God. I'm still trying, God. I'm still trying. I'm still trying. Because the greatest pursuit of my life, the greatest pursuit of your life, church, is that you may know him. And to know him is to be like him. And we may not have a grab, grabbed a hold of it yet. But one day the Bible says this corruptible will put on incorruption. One day we will attain. But until that day, we're still striving. We're still pushing. We're, stri- we're still trying to be more like him. If we could all stand. I realized in my walk with God, I realized something in my walk with God. It's kind of funny, is as you grow, as you grow and as you give of yourself, and sometimes you settle and think, ah, you know, I, I think I'm good. I think I'm giving enough. I think I'm giving enough. But what I found in my walk with God is every time I get to that point where I think, ah, I think, I've, I think I've arrived. As God says, he looks at me and says, no. Just give a little more. Give a little more. Give a little more. And let me tell you something, church. Who am I to argue with the one that gave it his all? Who am I to argue with the one that bled and died and, and was crucified for me? Who am I to argue So what I do is I I just keep walking and I just keep giving and I just keep learning in his word. And and when I see something in his word, I just say, okay, God, I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to give it, God. And that's how you learn to know him, church. It's a walk. It's an experience. It's a joy of a lifetime. It's a pursuit of a lifetime. You won't arrive. You'll never arrive. But we're still searching. We're still gaining ground. We're still climbing the mountain. That I may know Him. And the Bible says one day we will see Him face to face. And we will be known as we are known. And one day we will attain But until that day, church, keep striving, keep searching, keep keep seeking after him. Diligently seek after him. Because it is the pursuit of your life. It is the purpose of your life. Amen. I'm going to open these altars. I'm going to open these altars to whoever wants to pursue.